Hey, at least it disconnected before I got in the middle of my sermon, uh, as it happens from time to time. If you want to, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Jude. We'll get there here in just a moment. And uh, a couple of things I should say here before before we get too far in. Y'all know that, uh, have known me from the beginning when I moved here from Pennsylvania, but was in Atlanta before, that there was one person in particular that introduced me to East Orange, and that would be Miss Katie Stevens, who is here today, all right? And every time I see her, I always think about what she said over and over and all the terrible things that happened in her life. I'm not going to let the devil steal my joy. She looks as good now as I have ever seen her in all the years, Uh, and the devil has not stolen her joy And I'm really glad to see her this morning. It's almost as if family has walked in the door unexpectedly. So really grateful uh, that Miss Katie is able to be up here uh, for a little while. You know, this year, if if you're new or it's your first time in here, we've been having a theme this year, being holy as God is holy. As it's written, be holy for I am holy. And in this quarter, these three months, we've been talking about being holy in our strengths when we are strong, when we have things rolling and we're doing really well. And this morning, I want to talk about some temptations that come when you're doing really well, when you are thinking you're good, when you're thinking everything is golden. And I'm going to tell you one that I'm not going to talk about. The obvious one is pride. And I'm not talking about pride today, because if you've been coming on Wednesday night, you know that Isaiah, we have seen pride virtually every single week. So I'm not going to beat that dead horse again until we get back to Isaiah on Wednesday night, and then we'll beat it again. But if you're open to Jude, and it's one chapter, it's a short book right there at the end of your Bible. Some people, you know how you see things and it makes your eyes light up, get all excited, it's like, yeah! Yeah! There's one of these verses in Jude, in Jude chapter 1 and verse 3, and Michael actually read it last week. As some people, their eyes light up when they read in verse 3, Beloved, although I was eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was once delivered. People get all excited, man. They're like, yeah, we get to fight for the truth. Man, I love getting in debates and talking with folks and standing up for right and standing up for truth. Uh, a lot of weak people doing that. Weak people love to get up and fight, don't they? <laughs> no, they don't, right? They know they get pulverized. They know they're going to get squashed. They got no choice. They got no chance in a fight. And so they don't pick a fight. But guess who wants to pick the fight? That big, strong, and I'm going to use the term bully. Now, when Jude is writing here in verse 3, he's not talking about bullying. He's talking about, man, you are going to need to stand up for the truth. You're going to need to fight for the truth because, as the rest of the book would go on to point out, there are going to be people who will be false teachers. And they will be among you. And that's what we forget sometimes about false teachers, is that they are among us. They're not out there. They are. But therein is what the New Testament teaches. And I just want to point out one verse that we point that out in verse 12 here of Jude. They are hidden 
reefs at your love feasts, and they feast with you without fear, shepherding themselves, waterless springs swept about, and so on and so forth. Now, there's a lot of debate about what these love feasts are. I believe it's the Lord's Supper. It's that feast of love that we just talked about. It. What did Eddie read from Ephesians 5? As Christ loved the church and gave up himself for, we just had a feast remembering that love. And what he's saying is that there will be people who will be participating in that feast with you, and they're hidden. And they are like irrational beasts ready to be caught and destroyed. That's pretty serious. And that's what he's talking about when he says you're going to need to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all people. It's indoors. I want you to go to the end of the chapter. And here's where I want to turn to our very first thing. Because, you know, when you're strong, we have the tendency to use Force. Like, I'm going to force it on you. And I'm going to force you to do the right thing. How many of us have ever done that with our children? And shouldn't we do that with our children? They're young, right? A kid doesn't know what he needs to do or what she needs to do. But as they get older and you keep forcing them To do the, quote, right thing. What's going on inside of them? How many of them are kicking, screaming inside, rebelling, going through the, and I'm going to use the term, the right motion or the right action, but they aren't doing what is right? Because right is not just about what you do. It's about what you do and why you do it. And we try far too often when we are doing right and we are strong to force others to do right. And so we try to save others and we use this all the time and we should at times. Notice down here in verse 22, we'll get there. But I want you to see as he's writing to these Christians in verse 17, he says, You must remember, beloved. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you that in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. The apostles warned you this was going to happen. There were going to be people who were living for themselves and that's what they would go after. And so 19, it is these people who were among you who caused divisions. They're worldly people. Devoid of the Spirit. They're among you, but they don't have God's Spirit. They're not living by God's Spirit. They're living by their senses. The things that come natural to them. And guess what happens when we start walking in our own steps, as Dan pointed out last week. It's not in man to direct his own steps. The end of that way is death. And he said, these people among you, they don't have the Spirit of God. But you, verse 20, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. He doesn't feel the same way about the group that he's writing to right now. He says you're building yourself up. You're getting stronger. You're getting bigger. And you're doing that in your most holy faith. 
That's you. What can you wait for? You're praying in the Spirit. Verse 21. Keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You've got that. Now here's where our verse comes in that also our eyes light up on. Have mercy on those who doubt or who cause divisions. And 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained with the flesh. The truth is, sometimes we do need to snatch people out of the fire. Right? You just said, snatch them. Take them up. But is that what he said everybody needs? Notice back to verse 22. Have mercy on those who doubt. That's what my translation says. Your translation may cause division. And it's translated both ways. And it can mean either one. I tend to think it means those who doubt. Those who aren't sure about something, right? Do you get upset when somebody isn't sure about something? And so you got to force it on them. Like, how dare you not think that? Or whatever the case may be. We often do that. And when I don't understand something and somebody is shoving it down my throat and saying, how do you not get that? Guess what that makes me do? I stick my wall up. I'm not listening to you. They need mercy. They need some compassion. They need some time, some patience. But yet, the tendency too often is to force them. How do you not get that? And there may be a time in which they need to be snatched. In which that needs to be said to them. How do you not get that? That's what the Hebrew writer did to the Hebrews. By this time you ought to be teachers, the end of chapter 5 says. But you need somebody to teach you again the elementary principles. Like you should be way past this. But you're not. Or the Corinthians. You're still earthly. You are still after all these passages. You're not there yet. There are times we need to flat out say it. But there are other times when we have to show mercy and not force. Because you can't force. As the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can't save other people. It's up to them to save themselves. Now, another thing that we try to use force on when we're strong is we try to force, use force to get what I want. You don't want to do it my way, and many of you know one of again my one of my favorite quotes. You can do it your own way if it's done just how I say. And I'm going to force that on you, and you're going to do it my way. That's just all. It, what's the other say? My way or the highway. And guess what? We do that religiously speaking. The religious people do that all the time. Look at Matthew the eleventh chapter. In Matthew chapter 11, as John the Baptist is maybe having some doubts, or as John the Baptist is wanting his disciples to turn their attention to Jesus, Jesus makes some interesting statements about that day and that time, and what people have been doing leading up to that day. And I want you to notice in verse 11 that Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born among women, There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Big statement, right? 
John the Baptist is chief. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. John's not going to get to live to see the kingdom. John is not going to be there when the kingdom comes into, uh, is reformed or comes to fruition there in Acts chapter 2. John's dead. And the person who is least in that, he's at the bottom of the totem pole, but yet he's in that kingdom. He's greater than the person who is the greatest that's ever been born by the flesh. He's greater than that. And she's greater than that. And now here's the statement in verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. You see what was happening when John was out preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. People were rejecting that. You would see that uh, later that the Pharisees rejected the baptism that John preached. They were coming out. Remember John, what he said to them? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? I ain't talking to you. You don't care about what I want to do. You're going to do it your way. Because they were using force. They were forcing themselves in the kingdom. Or I should say, trying to force themselves in the kingdom. And you think about that, right? You ever been excluded from something? Maybe a little, maybe a little club in elementary school or middle school. And you're trying to get, trying to get in there, trying to get your foot in the door. They let you in? No, right? Because when you were in a club, got a little group of friends, and somebody's trying to work their way in, you slam the door right in their face. And so far too often, we don't belong, which is why you don't get in the club. You don't belong, and so we try to fit ourselves in there. And we try to, I'm going to use the phrase, justify ourselves. And I want you to look in Luke chapter 16. This passage is not up there on your screen. But in Luke chapter 16, that Jesus flat out tells these Pharisees in verse 14, there's a parenthetical statement that is given to us by Luke. And he said, the Pharisees, in a general statement, who were lovers of money. Pretty general statement, right? That's a pretty big stereotype. That these Pharisees, they were lovers of money. And Jesus said to them, verse 16, or excuse me, verse 15, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You see what they had done? They had used their money. They had used their power to justify themselves before men. And only men. Because God knew their hearts. Jesus knew that they were lovers of money. They thought they had everyone fooled. He says they've been forcing their way in. And so you oftentimes you think about you're going to take a kingdom. You're going to take this by force. I'm going to take my armies and I'm going to ransack the city. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes? First one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And he goes on to list these other qualities and these other characteristics. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. But notice verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek is not someone who is weak, but it is a person that has their strength under control. They didn't take it by force. You can't take it by force. You can try all day long to do it your way. But until we get our strength under control, God says, ah, it's not for you. It is for those who have their strength under control. And frankly, it's for those that actually love. When you don't want to do something, and I don't like to do a lot of things. I don't like to stay up very late at night. But you know why I stay up late at night sometimes? Mary's nodding her head over there. Because I love the people that want me to stay up late at night. Maybe they've invited me over to their house for, for games, for food. And I do it because I love them. In one sense, you feel a little bit forced to do it. You feel obligated. That's a terrible way to say it. Right? But do you know why you go through an obligation to someone? You love them. And you're willing to do things you don't like to do. My own way. If I had it my own way, we'd have a, we'd have a family night at 5 p.m. We'd be done by 9. I'd be out of sleep by 9.30. That's not the way it works. Everybody else has got jobs all day. So you acquiesce. You do it. You love. But when you have real control, say it was going to be a party at my house. We're starting at 5 p.m. I don't care if you get off work at 6 30, 9 o'clock. It's going from 5 to 9 p.m. And I could do that. But as Paul says there in Philemon, when he wants Philemon to take Onesimus back, he said, I could command you in Christ Jesus that you take him back. In verse 8. But 9. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. The only way you can really get someone to do the right thing for the right motive is to appeal to them in love. And sometimes when you love them, you've got to snatch them up. Sometimes when you love them, you've got to reason with them. And sometimes, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, encourage the faint-hearted, so on and so forth. But he says, Be patient with them all. Don't use your force. Get that under control. Here's the second thing. When everything is going really well in my life and in your life and we're doing what we're supposed to do, we tend to not understand other people. Somebody commits a sin, they do something, and we say this, How could anyone do that? And we hold these sins up at these huge, like, oh, I do this one. How could anyone do that? Or how could anyone believe that? And that's because we ain't thinking. I want you to go to Luke chapter 7. I believe Michael has said over and over this may be his favorite passage uh, in Scripture. In Luke chapter 7, you've got someone who has power, apparently. 
He is a Pharisee. And we just learned that Pharisees, they love money. Uh, and he's got enough money to have Jesus over for dinner at his house. And it appears as though Jesus isn't the only one that is there. And so we begin in verse 36, that one of these Pharisees, Simon, he had Jesus there for dinner. I want you to notice what happens here while he's at the house. And probably this dinner took place up on the roof. Uh, and so it would have been accessible to, to virtually anybody walking by. And so verse 37, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. What condescension that is. Everybody knows how bad she is. And this guy is letting her be all up on his feet and crying and all over him. And I tell you what, man, how many times has that been me? That person bad. But I'm not that bad. But I want you to notice what he did. He didn't even try to understand either her or Jesus. He didn't think that there was a possibility uh, or a reason for why Jesus would let him, let this woman be all sorrowful for her sins. Why would you allow someone to do this? Why would you allow someone that bad to get that close to you? And so he wrote both of them off. And don't we do that sometimes? Somebody walks in the door and they've got a checkered past. And we write them off. We don't care about where they've come from or why they made some of the choices and decisions that they made. We just know what they have done and we say, off my list, name checked out. That's why we don't understand them. We don't want to understand them. The other side of this, as it goes down, is Jesus says, Simon, i got something to say to you. Is The truth is, oftentimes, we don't see ourselves accurately. We see ourselves through our I'm strong mirror. And I'm good mirror. And I don't see myself as being the same as that woman. And maybe the truth is I haven't done as, quote, bad of things. But Jesus said in verse 41, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. We'll make it easy. You owe 500 bucks. I owe 500 bucks and you owe 50 bucks. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Both of us, all of us are off the hook. Oh, which one of them will love him more? And his response, I think, is so, like, arrogant as well. The one I supposed who had canceled the larger debt. 
He knows what Jesus is saying to him. And you know how you do that sometimes. You, you make the point, and you're right. And the person that is on the receiving end of the point, they don't want to admit that you're right. Say, well, I guess, I guess it's this. I think that's what he's saying right here. I suppose the one who had it larger, and he said, you judge rightly. And he said, Simon, look at this woman. And I find it interesting. He turned to the woman who Simon maybe wouldn't even look at. She's so disgusting as a sinner, I won't even look at her. Because if I look at her, then man, I'm a sinner. And he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. When's the last time you did that? You were so upset and so sorry for what you had done to someone that you were willing to wash their feet with your hair. But we have that picture, don't we? When you're going to someone and you're begging them for mercy, we picture we fall right at their feet. When was the last time you had to beg somebody to forgive you? I mean, you're begging. You are pleading. Why? Because you've done something terrible. And we know it, and so I don't like feet, and many of you know I don't like feet. But you get close to them because you realize how bad it is. And he says, you gave me no kiss. I walked in this house, and you didn't even greet me. It's like, yeah, I'm the big one here. You don't even honor me as your guest. But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. I'm not sure I could even go that far. And you didn't anoint my head with oil. Just a little perfume. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. He wasn't wrong about her being a sinner. But what he didn't see is that he needed forgiveness just as bad as she did. And that's the way it is with all sin. I might not commit that particular sin, but I've got my own to deal with, right? And I need that same forgiveness, and so I just don't see myself that way. And so the truth is is that sometimes we try to use force to save other people for their own good. We would tell ourselves. And to get what I want. Hey, this is my way. This this is what we're going to do. I can make it work. It'll all be all right. And we don't understand other people because we don't even want to. We don't even give them a shot. We just write them right off. And then other times we don't see it. We don't understand them because we can't see clearly. We've got that log sticking out of our eye. Right? That picture from Matthew 6. But what in the world does this have to do? Remember how I started the lesson talking about you're being holy as you're holy and building up yourselves in your most holy faith. The truth is, is that if we're going to be holy as He is holy, we have to understand that Jesus did not use force. 
He didn't use force to save other people. You remember, you can turn to John chapter 6 if you so desire. I'll probably just reference these very quickly. But in John chapter 6, when he is teaching about, you've got to eat my flesh, you've got to drink my blood, and many of his disciples walked away that day. He's got the twelve standing right around them, and he doesn't say, you stay here. He says, do you want to go away too? And you know what I would have been saying? I would have been saying, you guys better not go anywhere. Peter, if you walk away from me, I'm here, I'm done with you. Jesus said, do you want to go away? He said, where? Peter said, where in the world are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus could have forced them. You're my twelve. I picked you. You're staying with me. And that's what we would tell our kids. You're going with me. And the kids say, fine, I'll go with you, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do tomorrow night. Or later when I leave here. Or I'll do whatever I want to do when I'm in here. All right? Have it your way. Force Or, man, i got to get what I want. I think about the end of Jesus' life, that he wanted something pretty bad, didn't he? Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And in that passage in Matthew 26, where we have maybe some of the most information about that, when they come to arrest him, and Peter draws the sword, and Jesus makes a statement, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. The truth is that Peter would have been squashed if they had got into an actual battle with the army with that. You live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. But Jesus says in Matthew 26, and we sing the song all the time. Look at verse 51 here. I get on the right page. Let's pick up 52. Put your sword back into its place, Jesus said. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will once send me more than twelve legions of angels. Anybody got that kind of army right behind them? Wouldn't it be nice just to have one person you could call on that would come and bail you out? But a whole army of angels? He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That, my friends, is meekness. That is strength under control. That's unbelievable. He didn't force it on other people. Man, thankfully, he understands us. He's there, and you would read in Hebrews chapter 4. Thankfully, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. And in our language, we would probably use the word actually empathize a little more than sympathize. Where you can understand the feeling that someone else is going through. You grasp it. You have felt it. Jesus clearly felt it. Because He was tempted in all the ways, such as you and me. And I don't know what that means. You want to know the truth about it. I tend to think Jesus wasn't tempted with doing drugs and alcohol. But maybe he was. 
Or maybe it's just the way the temptations work are the same. And Jesus understood that. But whatever the case, it says, Jesus was tempted in all areas just as you and me. But he was perfect. He didn't give in. And the reason he doesn't write us off is because he is there to give us help and grace and favor in a time of need. When we are begging Him at His throne of grace, He says, I'm here to help you. Because He understands what it's like to live on this earth. And that gets us to how Jesus saw Himself accurately. You go to Hebrews 2, and I want to point this one out. I can't imagine being God. I try to play that from time to time, and I think we all do. Like, what would it be like to be in heaven and then to come down here? How much do you view yourself, right? If, if I'm painting that picture and I'm choosing that scenario, if I'm coming to earth, I am going to be the best looking, the strongest, most athletic, most kingly looking person there is. Remember what Isaiah said about Jesus? There was no form or no comeliness that we should look on. He came very poor family. Didn't make much money himself. Didn't have a house. Didn't have anywhere to lay his head. And most people understand that aspect better than the very rich and wealthy in the world. All of us at some point have probably had some kind of financial struggle. Jesus lived his entire life in that way. And here's how he accurately viewed himself in Hebrews chapter 2. He knew what his goal was in verse 9. We see him who for a little while, namely Jesus, who was made lower than the angels, was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He understood that his job was to die for everyone. And because of that, verse 14, if the children share in flesh and blood, that means he had to do it. He himself partook of the same things. Why? So that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And verse 17 Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Just like us. There were no shortcuts to this. In verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. If Jesus didn't understand us, How could he give us what we need? But thanks be to God, he understands us completely. It's not in theory. He lived it and he overcame it. And he doesn't force us. Because no one wants robots. You want people who love you and choose to submit to you. We can't force people to do the right thing. 
We can't force ourselves into the kingdom. And if we don't try, we're sure enough not going to understand. And if we don't see ourselves correctly, we just won't be as holy as God is holy. And we can never be perfect in any of that. Because we don't know everything that is in man. That is impossible to know. But we can sure try to be compassionate, to snatch when the situation determines it. It takes that work. The subject in any way this morning, won't we come now as we stand and as we sing?